Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of History After Hours. My name is Kevin Pumphrey, and with me on this podcast is Mr. Lewis Jolly, Mr. Ron Franklin, and Miss Emily Diedrich. We are four history teachers at Lakeside High School in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We are recording this on February 1st, 2024, live in front of our students, and we definitely want to give a shout out to Collective Coffee for having us out again. The students ask a bunch of different questions that we tried to answer. Some were serious, some were silly, and so hopefully you will enjoy this podcast. Okay, it is February 1st. We are recording live once again at Collective Coffee. We have a lot of students staring at us, and I'm sure they have some invigorating questions to ask. So with that being said, state your name and ask your question. Hello, my name is Joshua Weed, and I'm sure you've all heard about the standoff at the Texas border, and I want to know how you think that will affect the future power dynamic between states and the federal government. The standoff at the border. That's, a, that's an interesting way to phrase that. You're talking about between... The people who are trying to immigrate into this country, or are you talking about the state of Texas and its standoff against the federal government? Okay, yeah. Are you asking me if I think there's going to be a civil war? Is that yes. what you're really asking me? Yes. Say it, Weed. Ask the question. <laughs> uh, you know, I hope not. Listen, at this point, I know there's been some talk between uh, some uh, Texicans about uh, secession, and, you know, they get all pissy, and they want to try to act all bad. And, you know, we used to be a republic. Okay, calm down. It's been a while. So if if that's truly what they want, I think they need to think that through a little bit more clearly. Like, how are you going to function on your own as an independent state if you, let's say that you do secede, and the United States lets that happen? So let's just ignore the, the possible military action to try to keep them in the Union, because, you know, that's been a thing in the past. Let's just say that they go, all right? Now we have a solid border between them and us. Is that really what they want? Are you going to give up all of the rights and privileges of the United States that's, you know, the, the remaining 49? Now, you're no longer a part of that. Is everybody going to give up their pension plan? Is everybody going to give up their money? You have to print your own money now, Texas. Get going. Are we going to have trade relations with them? Or is, is anybody going to, going to be your friend now? Are we going to build a wall? Are we going to make them pay for it? I mean, look, what's, there's a whole lot of ramifications there. You going to give up your Social Security? I mean, what are, what are you going to do? So I, don't, I, I really don't think that it's, it's a lot of bluster, I think. You know, I mean, there's some serious issues that need to be dealt with. Who has the sovereign right to defend our national border, not just the Texas border? That relies back on the federal government. So it's a pissing match at this point, I think. But I don't I'm not predicting that it goes any further than that. What about you guys? Yeah, it's unconstitutional. Most of these people are conservatives. They really worry about what the Constitution uh, says after the Civil War. We there is no secession. So we made it basically illegal. It was a question before the Civil War, but since the Civil War, we now have it enshrined that secession is illegal. They're not going anywhere. Yeah, it's short answer. No, no, there's not going to be one. I think you'd have to look at would an American soldier fire upon a Texas National Guard. I think we're probably past that moment in our history. I don't think they would see that as serious enough. Now, the political jostling in the games is further placed us on each side of whatever division we want to be on now i guess but you know there won't i don't think there will be a succession or a civil war or anything you know it's interesting we were talking in the hall the other day 
Josh, about how DeSantis is wanting to reconstitute the Florida military guard. It's not the National Guard, but in their constitution, they have Florida military. It does not allow it to operate outside of Florida borders, and he wants to revamp their laws to be able to send them down to Texas, which then would they are not under any federal jurisdiction at all, which is, I don't think how that could ever be legal. How would that even work? Would Texas have to invite them in and then... Yes, Texas would have to invite them in and allow them to come under the purview of the Texas state government, which opens up another whole yeah. lawsuit waiting to happen. You yeah. said something interesting, though. You were like, fire upon would a U.S. military personnel fire upon a Texas... What about return fire from? Like, what if those boys do get all up in their fields and they decide they're going to do something stupid? And then how quickly is that going to end? I mean, look, this is all politics, though. It's not actual it's, on the ground. Yeah, it's one hurricane and they're begging for uh, federal relief yeah. and get the federal government down here and help us out. I agree. Uh, they depend yeah. on the federal government just as much as any state. They're not going anywhere. We're going to use the words political theater. Yeah, it's they're trying to garner votes. They're trying to solidify some sort of knucklehead base. I mean, does it have the potential to do something else? I mean, somebody gets stupid. It could get weirder, you know? I don't, one, I'm not predicting One federal that. drone... Right. Somebody operates it. Oh, that's them. Okay, <laughs> taken care of. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's a good question, and it's something. It's a valid thing to think about. You know, I mean, it's a, we're in some weird times. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. How do you think it gets resolved? It may just be one of those prolonged arguments. You know, I don't know that there's a resolution. How long have they been working on quote unquote border crises? I mean, for generation after generation, seeming like that, you've got to figure out some new thing about some what part of the border are you going to secure? How are you going to secure it? Are you going to seal it off? Are we going to isolate ourselves? We've got to come up with some sort of functionality. But I will say this. People can bitch all they want to about the border crisis, but then I go back to my political theater stance where if you have a bipartisan bill that's working through the Senate right now, and then you have who nobody's even read it on the House side, and they're already saying we're going to kill it before it hits our, you know, as soon as it hits our floor, they're not looking for a solution. You know, they're looking to prolong the disturbance so that they can garner votes and, and raise uh, cash for their next elections. I, I don't know that they're, from their standpoint, I don't know that there needs to be a resolution. Well, I think a lot of things you say like that, it, it's in their benefit to keep it going as long as it can. You know, I know uh, with the election coming up, you know, if Trump gets elected, the border will probably be closed by executive order pretty quickly. Texas will join in that action to make it happen as quick as possible. There will be some lawsuits flying around. You know, Biden's in a, almost an impossible position now because if he, he loses either way on whatever way to, to a very uh, left-leaning base, he, he loses and saying he's, he's uh, giving in to the strong-arm tactics of a, of a governor down in Texas or he is soft on immigration. And you see now it's kind of, you know, with what Abbott has done... Governor of Texas. Just yeah, Governor of Texas has done with sending immigrants to the self-proclaimed sanctuary cities. He is now, even people in his own party are saying he is being too soft on immigrants, too easy on the immigration issue and the, and the border crisis. So he's in a no-win situation, which is exactly what someone like Trump wants. And it just helps him say, see, look, I'm your answer. I'm your savior to all that is wrong in your world elect me again and i will solve all these problems and you know it's it's right. working well for him right now i'd like to see a moment where everybody gets together and goes you know let's actually come up with a solution i, I would love that 
We'll see if it happens. I, I'm not that optimistic, I guess. Ever since the late 80s, it's been basically the same, and every president just kicks it down the road and nothing really gets done. Yeah. All right. Excellent question. Good start. Thank you. My name is Emily Williams, and I'd like to know if you were to create your own wall of 100 most influential Americans to ever live, who would your top three be? Well, uh, top, my wall top, last top year. Top three? Okay. It's hard to say because what I – I would say – Einstein, uh, George Washington, and third, Wright Brothers. I'll take a more modern route. Well, not too modern. Jefferson. I like an Einstein or someone like that. Uh, I, I could go with that, so I can't say no to Einstein. Who can say no to Einstein, I guess? I would go more modern with an Elon Musk. Just I think his influence is going to be felt for generations. I think he's the closest thing we have to a renaissance Man, as does, we like to say, does he have American citizenship? Does he? I didn't He's know. got a lot of American money, so that counts. I know he got that. Yeah. So well, I hey, think well, he is American. Speaking citizen. of Musk, how you feel about the brain chip? You heard, you heard this? No, no. Well, Neuralink. I want to get a Neuralink, but if I was paralyzed, I, w- I would. I think if it could, because that's going to be the the first application for it. Yeah. I want to get anything transplanted transplanted into my body, except maybe like a uh, a translator. I oh, maybe do that. That, that might be Inst- neat, instantaneous yeah. translation in your ear or something. I would do that. Yeah. But I think Musk maybe because of the not just because of the uh, the technology side of it, but you look at the Tesla, you look at SpaceX, you look at Starlink, which is there's going to be a portable internet to take anywhere in the world with you. I think that's influential. He has more satellites in orbit than any other organization now. And then what he's done. Agree or disagree with what he's done with with buying Twitter, rebranding it to X, and the conversations around that and how that was censorship, free speech, cancellation, all those things. You know, those conversations need to be pushed all the time. And I think he's he 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 gets into enough arenas where he's touching everything now. So that's my modern take. What you got, D? The only thing I can think of, and I know y'all are not going to like my answer, especially Nixon would not like If you my say Taylor Swift, I'm going to. I actually, I'm thinking about saying Taylor Swift. I don't know if I'm 100% sure on my answer. Over Elvis? But if you've <laughs> been hearing what's going on recently in like the political party scheme area, is the Republican Party is Ooh, actually yeah. looking at launching a campaign against Taylor Swift because... She does typically lean more left and more liberal in her use of social media and her fan base. One Instagram post and she registered over 30,000 new voters in one in Tennessee somewhere. So they're just afraid that she could make a bunch of people lean one way versus the other. Is there a, is there a counter flow? Do you think that her or those 30,000 people that she registered automatically leaning left or do you think that there's like a, a balance there i don't know no they're left are they mm-hmm. i don't know yeah. but you got okay. kid rock on the other side come on don't. kid rock sorry <laughs> and and uncle ted it is funny how the republicans are against taylor swift because they know she's left but they would love a musician or an actor to come out for them so then it would be okay it's once again it's political theater yep. it's uh crazy they have come after her though you're right yeah that, there's that says, even some that actually like, says something to, about her influence though yeah they're trying oh, yeah. to say like she is more right-leaning than she appears to be and they've been talking about her flying her private jet around everywhere and even though she talks about like the environment and all this stuff how she, the things she does actually shows that she leans more right 
I wonder if she by herself could swing this election. <laughs> if she just went all in for Biden. Uh, yeah, it'd be hard to prove exactly what percentage of the population she would convince, but there would be an army of Swifties that would, you know, we're going to the polls. And I mean, I, I think she nearly has that much power in the 20 to 30 year old demographic to swing the election. I, I mean, I, now, I, is she one of the most top three influential Americans of all time? The problem I have with Musk and Taylor Swift is too soon to tell. Give me longevity. 50 years and let's see if it all still works out. I mean, there's a lot of people 50 years ago that people would say, you know, that should be in the, like, William Randolph Hearst, but we don't really talk about him anymore. So it really depends on the next technology and the next musician and the next... I, th I think you checked that box with Taylor Swift. I think if we're talking about right now, like, uh, how do you beat that? The only, <laughs> the only other person I can think of that may be, well, I think he's more influential, and, uh, but I think it's Trump. Love him or hate him, dude's got people's attention. He's had people's attention, I think I've said this before, since he announced his candidacy in 2015. He has been on the news every day, multiple times, I mean, for that whole period. Is there anybody else who's accomplished something like that? Like I said, whether you like him or not, it doesn't really matter for what I'm saying here. That is an achievement to be on everybody's mind constantly. There's not a day. I cannot think of a day that's gone by in the last... What six, seven, eight, nine, two thousand fifteen, forever, every decades now. Running. It seems like. Okay. So yeah, I bet yeah, probably good day. Okay, good. Thank you. I'm Logan Downen. I was wondering, what do you th do? You think it would be worth it to switch to completely battery powered from a perspective of what what you would need to mine all of the materials and building the factories to build the batteries? No, no, <laughs> no, uh, no. We have to have a mixed energy. That we don't have one source that'll do it. Lithium's not good enough yet. Um, we don't have good batteries, and it's it's not good. From not my research, we're the way forward over the next twenty years is a combination of oil, solar, wind, and battery. And there's no and nuclear because there's a lot of, a big part of the planet that doesn't get enough sun, big part of the planet that doesn't get enough wind. It's going to take some combination. And look, I've been telling my class for years now, energy is it. We are now dependent 100% on electricity. We have to have electricity. Countries without it, if it happens, they, they're over. Uh, it becomes the walking dead if we don't have it. <laughs> so our number one priority is energy, energy, energy. If cars run off energy, everything does. I'm worried about the lithium systems. battery scenario because I don't, I don't, correct me if I'm wrong, but are those recyclable? I mean, can they do something with it? Or when they're spent, is it done? Or you just have to toss it out and that becomes a, like a hazardous material and... Like, I don't even know. I'm, I may be just I, talking crazy. But. I think it's getting the getting it and, and mass producing it on a level that you would need. How much energy are you actually needing to produce the batteries that are supposed to be saving the environment from right. all the energy? I need to ask some science guy for the actual answer to and that. Who, but, you what's know, the you, you, human cost you, of Exactly. You look yeah. at the human cost in places like Africa and the Congo right now with cobalt mining and things like that, and it's horrific. There's a, a documentary or something out there called cobalt red that goes into details about it and i mean it's it's pretty much a slave labor society in some parts of the congo now and you know are you willing to turn that into your entire basis of your economy once again and also we we are already so entangled in conflicts around the world because of energy with the people that the countries like China and those groups that own the rights to those mining facilities and the, and the mines and the access to it, it's it's almost an economic colonialism with them that they're participating in now. Do we want to get 
further down that road of being so dependent with someone that does not necessarily meet our our same moral view. I think it's way too dangerous on that aspect as well. And really quickly, we think about conflicts as military, but it could be going on right now in cyberspace, and there, there could be hundreds of American computer scientists trying to protect our electrical grid from hacking from other countries, and they're doing the same. So like, we could be in the middle of something crazy and not know it because it's not visible. It's online. It's through the Internet, and the electrical grid has to be protected. Well, there's a, there's a, a retired Admiral, James Starvitas, he was uh, a NATO, Supreme NATO commander, the first n- admiral to be given that responsibility. It's always been an mil- uh, army uh, officer because of the land-based warfare and stuff. And he has said, the ne- in his opinion, the next world war will be fought in a digital landscape. And we're woefully unprepared for it. We get a lot of our uh, conductors and our chips from overseas. If China decides to uh, invade Taiwan and, and take that back into their loving arms. You know, where do we get our semiconductors and, and chips and things like that? And we're, it's a, it's a very slippery slope. We would slide if we went totally dependent into that sector. Thank you. My name is Matthew Miller. And my question is, who do you guys think the most famous person in the history of the world is? So not including relig- religious figures. That's tricky, man. Cause the Pope or Trump. <laughs> yeah. Which Pope? Pope? The Pope. Right now. The Pope. Say the right now. I mean, is this like, a modern day question? Like someone or you mean ever? Or ever? Ever in the history of the world. But you're asking about to, what people might oh. think today. It also it depends on which oh. country you're asking that question. You know? I mean, if we're talking about Western countries like ours, the answer might be different than if you ask most popular you know, but Muhammad not a religious figure. Are you just popular, liked, or just known? Just know who that person is. You'd have to go. go ahead. I'm sorry. Go oh, ahead. I was just going to say Napoleon. I think that's my I thought answer. You were going Taylor Swift. <laughs> oh no 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 no! Sorry, I'll I'll only leave yeah, one Taylor Swift per podcast. Gotcha. I think you have to take someone like Hitler. I mean, he's just known. Oh yeah, everybody knows Hitler. Hopefully, everybody dislikes Hitler. Yeah, I mean, name recognition matters. Yeah, I think that's probably that's a good one. Yeah, nobody's uh, naming yeah. their kid. Not he's a good one. That's Hitler. a good example of a name that's instantly recognizable. Yeah. Because remember, there, maybe he might win. Stalin, Mao. I still, Stalin, I still think. No, I think Hitler's Hitler. more recognizable. Yeah, because I mean, and I think maybe it goes back to what do you know about that person, right? I also, you can say Stalin, but who? Uh, that's a, there's a lot of mystery in a lot of people's minds yes. about who that guy was. Same yeah. thing with Mao. I also so, think Adolf Hitler affected his generation more than any other human affected their generation, and then it disappeared just as fast. I can't think of another figure that had that big of an impact quickly, and then that big of an impact went away. I mean, they're still making movies about him. That's true. So, yeah, maybe. That may be the answer, man. (laughs) Unfortunately. I'm Amy Nicole, Commander. My question is, I'm sure you guys all know about Hot Springs High School switching their calendar to um, a full year. Hypothetically, if every school switched their calendar to being full year and the sports schedules aligned with it, do you think that would do more harm or be more beneficial in the long run? I don't like it. You like it? I don't like it. No, I do not like it. He likes it. Okay, so we had a little bit of this conversation earlier today in class. That's part of why this is on everybody's mind, I suppose. In my opinion, having done this for you know a couple of decades now, consistency matters, and that is a very inconsistent pattern. It might work for some kids really, really well, but I don't know that the bulk of them are going are gonna to be serviced the right way. There, it's still generally a period of time in the summer. Five weeks is what I'm looking at on their schedule. 
and then a week off every month throughout the year. And I, but I, I think about all of the uh, logistics on trying to start and stop and start and stop. And where do you land your lessons? And how do you work around testing? And does everybody going to do the same thing at the same time? And I don't. And Jolly, you and I were talking about this. You, I know you gave this as a caveat, but you talked about it from a coaching standpoint. Yeah, you know, I, had, I just look at hasn't it, done. not just from coaching, but any extracurricular activity. I mean, we have a lot, we have some athletes in here. We have uh, band members in here. A, a, a good cross section of people. You know, in my mind, extracurricular activities. School-based activities are the the greatest risk prevention system we have in place for our kids today. I don't like that. And if you, the only way to make that schedule work, I think nationwide, is to remove those from the schools, go to the European model. Uh, you see participation rates drop. I think with our current makeup of how our youth are, with all the different things coming at you today, like I could never handle it myself at that age. You guys are amazing for that. I just don't see it working for the entire country. And you also look at the economic impact. You know, my son called me when uh, his daughter's school, she's in third grade, they're going to a four-day-a-week schedule, and they are stressing about how to even figure out one day a week, let alone a whole week every five weeks. Yeah, I was going to go to that too. For for you guys that are older and you can drive and get around and do your thing, that might be you've got more flexibility and maybe that's good. But I think about, folks, what are you going to do with your little kids? You, one week every month, you've got to figure out what to do with those kids to make sure that they're safe, make sure they're taken care of. What kind of expense is that going to be to, to throw that at them? I, it's just, I think it's going to be complicated, you know. And, uh, that's Again, the, the logistic aspect of it is one of the biggest problems I've got. Okay, I'll go the other way. Okay. Um, I do think it can be beneficial. I think a lot of our mindset is because the traditional model is so embedded in everything we do, whether it's sports or how parents think of everything in summer vacations and all that. However, I, you know, most of the achievement gap happens in the summer. So, so kids that go home to poor parenting and they have three months of just nothing, when they come back to school, they're a little bit behind and you just do that every summer from kindergarten and it increases. The four-day-a-week model, I get why that's struggling because you're just adding hours to the day, which is also a problem. But the three-week on, one-week off model, I can see if we didn't have it all embedded, it's like, you know, you can get focused for those three weeks and then you get a break. And then you get focused for three weeks and you get a break. It's kind of like, you know, now when you start at school in January, it's a pretty long haul to get to spring break. And then another long haul to finally get to summer. And then it's freedom forever. And then you come back to school and you're trying to remember how to write and your hand feels weird and you have social anxiety because you hadn't seen your friends in a while. And so, I don't know, maybe the more consistent, you know, three weeks on, one week off. I mean, it would be better for health. Like, if you worked out three weeks on and one week off, that would be better than working out hardcore for three months and then taking three weeks or four weeks off, if that makes sense. If I compare it to, like, physical fitness, it's better because it's actually more consistent doing the full year. Now, what I think is going to happen is more and more schools are going to experiment with this, and we'll find the studies and we'll figure it out as it becomes more common. It's just not that many schools, not that many states have embraced a year-round system. The only, And I hope you all know this as history people, we do. The reason we have this model is because you're all farmers. <laughs> and so you have to plant in the spring and then you got to work in the field all summer. And then as soon as harvest time happens in the fall, you get to go back to school and you have your education in the winter. That's why this whole model was set up, and we're still on it, even though actually very few of you are farmers. So we're still on an old-school model. But that's how it all started, just in case you were wondering. 
I can see the pros and the cons to year-round school. I think ultimately the biggest thing is it's going to help with teacher burnout and student burnout, giving a little bit of a break, giving teachers time to plan, kids time to be social because social lives are the important things to kids, especially in high school. But I think the biggest problem would be, like we've been saying, the consistency. We all know that coming back to school after a break it's like you're just dragging yourself back into the building, teachers and kids. But then right before a break, it's the you're excited, you're acting out. Maybe you're not even showing up to school the couple of days before a break. And I think that's going to be the problem is getting in and out of routine so frequently. Yeah. Well, that's right. That goes back to the the inconsistency aspect. So, yeah, yeah that's a perfect tie-in. So, I, I you know. Everybody's got a plan. We'll try it and see what I mean. We'll watch them. We'll see how if it if it makes a difference. I know that some of the schools that went to a four day week, uh, a lot of them go on Mondays because the argument was don't do it on Friday because then, like you said, kids have to go. You know, there's games and a lot of things on Fridays, and you would have to be there anyway, and you have to pay them or whatever. Is it fair? They said, well, it's going to help with uh, student attendance. It's going to help with teacher attendance. They'll be able to get all their extra stuff done on that third day. It's going to be great. Well, what's happening in the local schools that I know that have tried this, it's actually had the opposite effect. Kids are missing more because they're used to being off and they want to stay off. Teachers are not able to get the appointments or whatever they need on the Mondays because everybody's trying to get stuff on Mondays. And you end up having to take days off uh, elsewhere. And when you miss a day because you said that it's an extended day, like you miss one day. It's a day and a quarter off your paycheck. So, uh, you know, it gets it gets tricky when you start. I understand that maybe we need some flexibility for more people. And the traditional model, like you mentioned, you know, we're and not do, agrarian anymore. I get that, but you, you do still get a month off in the summer. It's not like they you just get one yeah, no, week no, off. Yeah. You, know, you still get a, a summer break. It's just not instead of two and a half months, it's one month. I don't think the and best argument is scatter. how long is summer. I think the best argument is how inconsistent is the rest of the school yeah, year. I can see both sides. Yeah, I'm Merrick Lukens. There's a lot of discussion about life classes, classes that teach students life skills. As an adult, what is one life class you wish they taught or should begin teaching? How to break up with someone. <laughs> that's a that's a good it's, it's yeah. never talked about. You start your first relationships in high school, and some of these things go on for two years when you know you're not going to marry this person. You just don't want to be alone. And so literally you could you have toxic relationships constantly in high school. If, if there was some, you know, rip it off like a Band-Aid, I'm not happy, spin real, I wish nothing but the best, goodbye. And <laughs> there, there's like skills to this. There really is ways to do it to minimize the damage from one party to another. And I just think we, we do all this stuff and, you know, I just think that's a skill that we just ignore even though it's obviously, and, you know, I'm not saying I would be qualified to teach it, but there are sociologists and, you know, psychologists that could teach interpersonal relationship skills at a younger age so when you actually start dating someone you don't get into a toxic relationship and you don't even realize it and it's changing your personality and then you're mad at your parents and then you know so that's that's a big issue that i think we just ignore at schools even though we make kids go to school such so so much of their life i mean there's a couple of things as maybe not a life skill two things i really would like to see civics and economics to be a senior level course you know they're a semester apiece you're getting ready to vote but yet you haven't taken a history course in a year and a half probably we teach you as a 14 year old about elections and government and legislatures and bills on capitol hill and you just 
oh, you just glaze over and you hate it even more because you're 14 years old, don't care. You're, you're, we teach you economics sometimes as a 14 years old and, and you don't even have your own money to manage. I think we could turn that into an automatic life skills class, both of those. But I like a conflict resolution class. You know, my wife is a HR director at a bank and, and she just talks about how young people just cannot deal with conflict. You know, whether it be breaking up with someone or just being told no. Just being told no. What do you mean no? No. That's it. How do you deal with those? How do you internalize that? How do you work through that? How do you negotiate something you want as opposed to lashing out when you don't get what you want? I think conflict resolution is needed at an all-time high because we are an instant gratification, tell-me-yes society, all of us are, and it's I think it's showing in our in our in our kids and our in our society with crime rates and everything. And we got to just retrain that young people to, to uh, tack onto that. I think that stress management would also fit nicely into what you're saying. Maybe it's during COVID that it became much more uh, uh, evident. They're like, well, don't don't stress kids out. They're not going to stress. We never do. Okay, so we're going to try to create a stress free environment. That's not realistic. Not- you're. you're Life is going to be stressful. I mean, you're going to have to learn to deal with things that don't go your way. And so, and then, which could lead then to anxiety that could lead to conflict. And then, therefore, you need the conflict resolution to go with it. Like, but whoever told you that you're never going to have stress or told you that that's the way life should be, like, that's just not, honestly, I mean, it, it's an ignorant thing to, uh, to, I mean, you want to minimize it, I suppose. But at the same time, you, you can grow through a stressful moment. You well, can become better on the other side of that. If you understand how to deal with that appropriately, I mean, some people go through, you know, meditative classes. Some people go to church. Some people do whatever it is, whatever works for you. Like there's, there's something that can, that can happen there. How do you so, make your muscles strong? You have to put stress on them. <laughs> How do you make your mind strong? You have to put stress on it. And without stress, you don't get any better. I mean, you learn through the bad times, right? It's kind of a similar thing. So I think that's a good one. Yeah, it can be crippling if you don't know how to deal with it. Right. I think my answer is a little bit more of something you can actually learn. And maybe it's just because, like, I haven't learned it yet. <laughs> And I just trust someone to do it, but taxes. I feel like I should know how to do my own taxes. Senior level economics class, taxes. (laughs) Yeah, well, I took economics in the ninth grade for one semester. There you go. There you go. So sometime in January, you're going to get a W-2. Let's get into it, everybody. (laughs) The exciting world of taxes. But she's right. I mean, I would say 99% of people that leave high school have no idea about taxes. They just call their parents if they have parents that can help them. You know, so yeah, that's a well, good what, life skill. What do we teach in the economics classes? You guys have just recently been through some of that, I suppose. Like, do you do you do you know how to balance a checkbook? Do you know how to uh, checkbook. Checkbook. checkbook online? Yeah, banking. well, even if, okay. So let's say you have a debit card. You still have a withdrawal and a, and a uh, hopefully some uh, some deposits. You have to learn how to. You know, do I actually have this much money in here? Well, I've spent this. It's not come out yet. Like, what do you? What is it? What, what are interest rates? What is a credit score? How does that affect rate? you? Yeah, Can you yeah. afford a home? How do you go about purchasing a home? How do what you are go closing about costs? Money? By the way, keep your debt low. Don't start a family till you have to. Okay, <laughs> I go to. through the whole whole thing every time. Never have kids. Talk about stress. If you want freedom. Talk about stress. All right. Yep. Excellent. My name's Taylor, and what is something you've accomplished as an adult that your younger self would be proud of? Stress management. Conflict resolution, mm-hmm. learning how to do taxes. How to break up with someone. How to break up with someone, yeah. No, I, no, I, okay, listen, my, I am not proud of younger me. I was, um, 
what's commonly referred to as a smart ass. And uh, I didn't uh, I didn't get along with a lot of was, people because was, of that smart assery. And um, I was oftentimes way too reactionary, way too soon. And uh, <laughs> I've learned I've learned to I've learned to manage that better. I'm not perfect at it, but I've learned to manage it better. Learning to get away from people who were um, not really my friends. Yeah, people that I hung out with because I thought they were kind of cool, or you know. But then you realize like those people are are poison. You need to learn to identify the poison and get away from that, you know, because it can drag you down as well. What I what I discovered was that most of my friends were imaginary. So you gotta learn to let you gotta learn to cut people loose. That's that's something I learned. So mine is I had a uh, a dad and an older brother that did all the stuff, and I was the youngest by seven years. So in my adult years, I've learned to be useful around the house, putting on shower filters. Create. I built a table. Like my younger self would be, I, I I didn't even know you could use a hammer. So even though I grew up on a farm, that's a very specific set of skills. I never was good with woodwork or electricity and all that, and I've learned that in the last 10 years or so. So that's my little thing. Well, I will say I take pride that I'm still a smart ass at times. <laughs> at Not times. Me, never. No. But I'm over it. I'm fine. And I'm fine with being that way at times. It's just I deal with things with that mechanism. But I would say the biggest things I, I as an adult, I've accomplished. I grew up with the the male figures in my life not showing emotion. Like my father told me he was proud of me two times. Time I was baptized and the time I graduated college. That was it. Only thing. And so I'm proud that I'm finally after years of telling me I need to, starting to learn how to communicate a little better with my spouse, actually being okay to get a little tear down your eye when you get hear an emotional song or watch an emotional movie. I've or, seen him cry or, twice today. Just to, yes, <laughs> yes. And it's coming out now. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so, but, uh, you know, I'm kind of proud of that, that I've gotten a little, and this has just been the last few years that I've been able to feel comfortable enough to even say that in front of a group of people. What do you think that old school men don't cry, bury your feelings and have a heart attack at 40? Like, what, do, what, do you, what is that? Where does that come from? Patriarchy. Bury your feelings. Act like you have answers. The, and the yes. traditional thing that in my role as a father is to provide for you and that's it. Well, mothers were at home. They took care of the feelings and the boo-boos and hugs and kisses and make you feel better. My job was to go to work, work hard, provide for you. I don't have time for your activities. Your activities are silly. You need to get a job. You need to be a man and support your family type of mentality. At least that's what I was what I'm told. saying. But where, where do you think that originates? Because well, it's—I mean, it's, I think especially for like, I'm, I'm Gen X. I assume you guys are. You know, you what are you? Are you Gen X too? Yeah, oh, yes. you're the other thing. Barely. Yeah. So, um, dude, you got your own thing going there. So we will have to ask you too. You're Gen Z, okay? Uh, but I mean, but for our generation, there's a whole lot of that that was like, you know, just bury it. Don't don't I think talk we're about the it. Last generation that has that. The the, mm-hmm. the it, 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 emotions are weakness somehow. You know you can't die of a heart attack at fifty. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's, that's a that's a <laughs> thinking back on that now. That's weird. And I and I didn't I wasn't that way with my kids. But um, well, you have some traditional gender roles in there. You know, a lot of people of our generation, their parents fought in uh, some horrific wars, and you know you don't talk about those things. You yeah, never maybe. heard about those things. You and it's just the way men were supposed to be composed and stiff and. 
and they were it was way more violent. And somebody's got to go protect the house, and it's the guy that has to push the feelings down, not show fear, even though he wants to scream. And you have to protect, like so, you know, over the course of thousands of years, men, you know, soldiers that were filled by mainly men, although the Vikings were a little different. There's a few groups, and I think they had to push their feelings down in order to, you know, to attack another human takes that. You just kind of keep going. Then civilization happens. You still have that in you to push down the feelings, even though you're not fighting anybody. Yeah. Okay. Thoughts? What are you going to be when you grow up? <laughs> I don't know yet. Um, my thing that I'm most proud of that I've learned, and it's still oh, kind of a work in progress thing um, that I've really developed in my 20s, is when I was a teenager, I would often become a doormat and say, for peace or to avoid conflict and I would just kind of like let things roll and let people treat and me and talk to me poorly um, especially friendships and that goes into like having toxic friends and learning that there's certain people you just don't need in your life and so I've stopped doing that I stand up for myself a little bit more often in situations that I used to not do that and I think that's really been like my coming of age thing and learning who I am as a person and how to appropriately um, address conflict and you, disagreements. You had my conflict resolution class, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I did. <laughs> so are you, like, dealing with that in some sort of positive way? Or are you like, I cut a bitch? Like, what do you... Uh, what do you <laughs> it, it changes daily, I guess. <laughs> um, oftentimes, my reaction is, like, a jump to anger, but I sit, think, I don't react immediately. It's honorable. Um, <laughs> but, Yeah. It's yeah. just been a work in progress. <laughs> I, if I could give everybody a gift, it would be to not care so much about what other people think and mm -hmm. just be true to what you like and what you think. Uh, and that's kind of what she's saying. Because at, once again, as junior high into high school, that's, you know, you're looking around. I mean, like the worst people to play for music for is like people in high school. Because even if they love the song, they don't want to show it because they, they're worried somebody else might not like the song or whatever. And so, yeah, just being true, like the mo most fun people to play for are like 30 years, 30 year olds, because they've already, they've come true to themselves. I love this song. And then they're out, you know, so it's like, yeah, just knowing who you are and being okay with that and let everybody else be okay with that. Do you have anything that worse people said something you like still kind of harbor a, a resentment for it? No, absolutely no? not. Because I just, just, <laughs> well, you I shut people <laughs> down. <laughs> not that, not like shut you down verbally, but if, there's someone like that. I well, just when you were younger, you never had anybody say something to you, and you were just like, ah. Well, there's a my neighbors called my sister fat at a neighborhood barbecue, and I keyed his car. That's how I dealt oh, with okay. that okay. vandalism. <laughs> True story. Got in a lot of trouble. I do not recommend it. Conflict okay? resolution. <laughs> but that's the deal. I was like, okay, you're going to hurt me, then I'm going to. To get, I'm going to get you back. Yeah. Vengeful. We was talking about vengeance earlier. Yeah, get a little sweet revenge there. Now okay. that wasn't my finest moment. I think as you grow up, so. the thing that shifts is you you go from being hurt by what they said to you start to pity people. You realize they're hurting. That's the reason they're being mean. That's the reason they're saying their stuff. It's their insecurity, not yours. And once you kind of realize that dynamic, Blow and then up. you see it. You know, I see it in the hallway. I see kids say horrible things. I see kids posturing. And you realize it's their insecurity, not who they're talking to. And then it makes it easier to deal with. Yeah, and the only reason I say that, you know, you talked about imaginary friends. And I'm not talking about social media friends. But I, I stay in touch with one person I went to high school with. That's it. 
probably my best friend in the world, and I stay in touch with him. I'm, and I'm not a person that has 20 friends in this huge friend group that you see and you go and do everything. I don't need that. Mm-hmm. I don't desire that. It's just too much for me to handle. So I guess maybe just because I'm a, a little introverted into myself at times. Hello. Um, my name is Priscilla Rosales, and I'd like to know what you think the most admirable aspect of human nature is and the worst. Greed and pettiness is like the worst. That's why I like the worst. Love is the greatest. Yeah. Compassion, empathy. Empathy, compassion. I think greed, you know, to the old saying, greed is the root of all evil. You look at so many things in the, in the wrong in the world today, and it, it, it goes back to greed. Either you want the power or the money or the fame, and you're just you just crave that and you want it all. You know, I think that's the worst. But having love for another person or another human being, or uh, just for each other in a general sense, I think that's the greatest thing we can have. I agree with the greed thing, but I almost lean towards like selfishness as well, along with greed, because sometimes it's not just about like materialistic wanting things for yourself, but like. I think the thing that can make you unhappy pretty quick is jealousy. Comparing yourself, I've, I've said this to somebody, I don't know, comparing your insides to people, all you see is people's outside, what they project. But you're comparing your inside to that, and you're jealous of that or whatever, but you don't know what's going on inside of them. So this whole comparing thing is what makes a lot of people unhappy. So being content with what you have and being th- grateful so I, to me, grateful is a great thing, and jealous is the bad thing, and they're kind of opposites. Next. Hi, my name is Jacob Moss, and in your opinion, how should the U.S. respond to the current israel Hamas war situation? Well, <laughs> this is a long, I mean, this would take yeah, a long time. That's a, that's a loaded uh, question. How should we respond? How are we responding? Is it enough of a response? Is it even our place to respond? Maybe that's some question. I mean, you know, it depends on who you ask, I guess. I think Israel has the right to try to destroy Hamas, the terrorist organization. They don't care about the innocent Palestinians. And I understand that Israel's getting a bad rap right now, but please understand Hamas is the type of a terrorist group that will use their own people as shields and strap up children with bombs. So... And they've already said they want to wipe Israel off the map. So that's a pretty big threat right across the border. And they already did something horrific to innocent people. Now, whether the United States should get involved, whether our support, I mean, like that's a issue that's been bubbling for years. I mean, obviously, there's been Jewish people in that area forever. And it's, it's interesting how there, there's 55 Muslim countries and there's one Jewish state, but, but they do get the whole oppressor role which is controversial and so you do see the innocent palestinian people and most people do as innocent victims which they are so it's a complicated historic craziness is it going to get even solved i did what my hope is is that it can i hope innocent people can stop dying as soon as possible and i hope no other countries get fully involved to create a bigger crisis well that was where i was going to kind of tie in with that too like if there's all kinds of mistakes that can happen. Whatever we do or whatever kind of pressure we can put on there to try to, to for them to have conflict resolution, at this point, is that possible? Do If we intervene poorly, it could actually exacerbate the problem and make everything worse and then expand out um, the, the, the conflict and, and 
I mean, that's that's really we're you're walking on a razor's edge for a lot of different reasons. Well, one one thing I would love to see if we are going to do something to stop tying it into political gains. You know, right now, funding for uh, Israel, funding for Ukraine, funding for the border crisis is all tied up in one big neat negotiation package and i think that's ridiculous yeah. for us to play on these omni omnibus bills and stuff it's ridiculous that our politicians and we allow our politicians to play these political games of something that could just was already disastrous for for thousands and thousands of people and we're allowing and we that's kind of our status quo now say well we'll help them if we get what we want we either need to decide as as a as a government and a people, are we going to help these people? Are we not going to help them? Are we going to assist Israel? Are we going to stand stand aside and let it solve itself? What are we going to do? It's it's disheartening and it's frustrating to see our politicians dodge questions of, about it and say, "Well, if they'll do this, we'll do it." Well, that that's a BS type of answer to me. You know, am I empathetic towards? tens of thousands of, of innocent people killed in that situation. Absolutely. How can you not be? I mean, you're just an asshole if you're not, I think. But at the same time, do the, the nations have the right to defend themselves against a group that, you know, the, the easy equation is if, if Israel said we're not going to pick up a firearm again, not going to defend ourselves, what would happen to them as a nation? Well, you could also make the argument that and I've, and I've heard this played out in the news, but with different analysts, Israel's current continued strafing of innocent people's air, the places where they live, the places where they've sent them to you'll be safe if you go here. And then all of a sudden you're not safe there. Is there a safe zone anywhere that are, they actually may be a stronger recruiter for the Hamas or the, or the militant responses to Israel's existence to begin with by their continued, like uh, not just the political oppression that we can talk about, that's a reality on a daily basis. But now that just is hammering the hell out of this area. You're are you creating more of a monster? And I wonder if would Hamas even exist if Israel had a different tone and take on how to interact with the Palestinians to begin with. So, I mean, you have to talk about that side of it, too. You talk about defending yourself. What caused the conditions that that infuriated the people to the point where they were willing to go for and do those things? I'm not blaming Israel for the attack. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, you, you got to look at you. I think you need to look at critically look at some of the terrible conditions that have been created by this government in particular that then makes the whole situation more inflammable. So can you diffuse that? And, and, and at this point, too, let me just take that other side for a second. Have you crossed the line between we're defending ourselves and moved into we're just punitive? Well, I mean, there's more tunnels that Hamas has created under the Gaza Strip than the London underground subway system. Well, I don't... So, okay. and, they're, and they're connected to hospitals and I would, schools. I would love to see absolute proof of that, though. I mean, I, I've not been there, so I don't no. know. This is just what I hear. Yeah. Um, I mean, if it's, I don't, if it's true... I mean, I understand unplugging the network. Right. But, but, I, I, mean, don't, but I also values, don't understand, like, you, let's, let's, a, let's bomb those facilities, which, has, which do have civilians in there. And yes, they're human shields. Because we're going to make that argument. And the Israeli government and... The IDF yeah, does make that argument. Out just like Hamas but do you, wants it to. Yeah, do yeah. You, yeah, but then do you make it harder on yourself to try to, re, to have resolution by just saying, well, you know what, who cares? 
we have to get those guys in that tunnel, so we're going to destroy all of these innocent people's lives. And how does that factor well, into the movie? But forward? my point is, Israel is not just, hey, let's carpet bomb these innocent people. They are killing innocent people in their pursuit of the terrorist group. Now, yeah. that doesn't mean that the innocent people should die or anything, but if Hamas cared about them, then of course... I'm not arguing that point at all. I mean, if you, if you flip it and let Hamas attack, there, there is no such thing as an innocent person. They're going to level the place. So, right. like, our values I'm not in arguing America, uh, for Hamas. Don't get me wrong. Not, of course not. <laughs> and you know what's crazy is, like, thousands of Palestinians would go into Israel to work and then back to Palestine before all this happened. It's the innocent people that always pay the price on both sides of this issue. And usually it's the few politicians and the few terrorists that are trying to play this chess I just wonder if I don't a, know what the answer I is. I just wonder if there's a better way forward without all the collateral damage. I agree. Right. I, and, I, yeah, and I don't know either. I'm not a military expert. I yeah. don't know if there's a oh, better, I don't have, yeah, I don't have an better way. Yeah. All right. So once again, that could take a lot hey, longer. But um, yeah, okay. we got a couple more questions rapid yep. fire, lightning mm-hmm. style. Hello, I'm Mary Lopez, and I was wondering how would it have altered the course of the conflict if Germany hadn't invaded Belgium in World War One? Okay, if, if Germany didn't invade Belgium in World War One, how would that have altered? I mean, potentially Great Britain wouldn't have got involved, right? Wasn't that the when Germany invaded that, Belgium in World War One? Yeah, the, that's yeah, a, the, the breach of neutrality right. is what caused France and Britain to get involved, right? Germany, well. <laughs> Germany always had a plan to invade France, though. See, that's that's the misstep there. So if you go back to, like, 1905, you know, nine years before war actually lights up, they had created a plan for creating a zone of influence greater than they already had in Central Europe and then beyond. So I, they were always planning on it. So it's hard for me to unplug what if they hadn't invaded Belgium. Like, they, it was, they, they, were, they were, you have to understand the nature of the beast at that time. Like, they wanted to create a larger war so that they could take more territory. They were geared for that. They've been practicing and planning on it for, well, actually, even longer than, than since you know, the years before the war. Well, so the, I don't know. I, I, yeah. yeah, with the military buildup around all of Europe at that time, I think it was it was just de- delayed the inevitable. The whole region was ready to go into conflict. Would it have pushed it six months, a year? You know, A lot of those countries were almost looking for, not just Germany, were looking for an excuse what if it was just Germany themselves. versus Russia? I mean, Germany, Austria versus Russia and Serbia. If that's yeah, the end of been, it. Yeah. That would have been an interesting dynamic. And I think that they could have taken, they could have actually taken Russia out. Russia wasn't yeah. that strong. Hello, my name is Pike Williams. And um, I would like you to describe to me which would be easier. Only being able to use words with one syllable or not being able to use words that are only one syllable. And please answer either in one syllable or in with words that do not uh, that are more than one syllable please mm. I can't even answer the question because syllable is multisyllabic <laughs> I don't so i can answer in multiple <laughs> syllables can i speak in third person even though that's really annoying Dude. i don't like this thought this is a conundrum. but i choose one <laughs> hey <laughs> we're going to go with that one we're going nope we go we yes we go with that. Yes, we can. <laughs> uh, I'm Will Dozier, and y'all were talking earlier about Neuralink, and one of these other futuristic technologies of a similar vein is they're thinking about uh, like uploading your consciousness for like to live forever. Is there any way you could prove that that is not the same person, or even that it is the same person? Are, are you a collection of your memories, or are you an energy source? Can we... Can we prove we're not in assimilation now? 
Do you have a soul? That's the that's the question. Are we just a a, a, a complex? But are you computer you, system? Or say you is there a, more to us than just our memories? Let's say you have life? a soul, but are you you without your memories? Dang. We don't know. We don't know. We're not scared of saying we don't know. Is this just the ship of Theseus from an ancient Greek thought experiment? Oh, yeah. ship of Theseus is if you replace every single board on the ship of Theseus, is it's still the ship of Theseus? Oh, 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 I've, yeah, I've heard of that. I didn't, uh, I didn't recollect. I mean, yeah, yeah. We, we live in a world now where if if we die, we're gonna have such a, a internet presence already that they could use AI to you know take every picture we've ever taken, everything we've ever said, everything we've ever texted. And make a version of ourselves, but it wouldn't be us. But it be close, maybe. So, Amy Nicole, and I was going to ask, um, in a doomsday apocalypse type situation, whether it's zombie apocalypse or nuclear warfare or something like that, um, what group of survivors might you join? And where do you think would be the best place for you to hunker down, have as your base? Never in a city. No. Redneck Central with a lot of natural water. Middle of nowhere somewhere. <laughs> We started this conversation with Texas, so let's end with Texas. It's are there more guns per capita in Texas than anywhere else? And tigers, apparently. probably so. Yeah. Tigers. Yeah. We talking about? There's more tigers in captivity in Texas than there are naturally in the everywhere else in the world. Private zoos. No, no, it's, it's true. It's true. <laughs> it's crazy. Huh. I was thinking more specifically, like if we were stuck in hot springs, oh. which place specifically would you want to hunker down, like around this area? Well, I'm not Walmart. telling you that. That's why I put all my stuff. We're gonna we're gonna take Walmart. My, <laughs> taking Walmart, everybody. <laughs> they have. On Walmart. They've we're got taking food. Linda they've got guns. They've us. got knives. They, yeah. So probably I'm taking uh, the mountain tower Ooh. up there. It's defensible. You you have the high ground. You can see people coming from miles away. I'm an excellent marksman. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I would take that. You know, we got the hills. Yeah, I mean, there's. I like that. It's not a bad thing fine. to be in. You're gonna run out of food up there in your freaking tower, and you're gonna be wishing I'm you were at Walmart with me. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the people at Walmart? We listen. If I get to the guns, <laughs> we can take care of that. I one. already have all the guns. <laughs> you ain't gonna bring them all to Walmart. No, but I'm gonna be in my tower. <laughs> and we. You said right. something about cannibalism earlier. What am I going to I mean, not to sound like a doomsday prepper at all, because I'm definitely well, you not. A basement, don't but you? this is yeah. a very regular conversation with my parents, <laughs> and we have a very specific plan in place. We're going to her house. We're going wrong. with Diedrich. All right, that is the podcast. Hey, Thank you to Collective like Coffee. We'll see you on the flip-flop. <laughs> <laughs>